You're listening to a Mint podcast brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello listeners, welcome to the latest episode of Why Not Mint Money. I'm your host Jaskriplani. High net worth and ultra high net worth investors tend to have different investment and financial planning needs. This is simply because of the sheer size of the wealth and assets that needs to be looked after and managed. In today's episode, we are in conversation with Ashutosh Bishnoi, who is the director at Multiac, to understand the different aspects of investment advice and financial planning when it comes to HNIs and ultra HNIs. Welcome to Why Not Mint Money, a personal finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth. So let's get started with your money journey. Hi Ashutosh, welcome to the latest episode of Why Not Mint Money. Uh, Ashutosh, we wanted to chat with you to understand how yes. investment advice and financial planning you know how does that work when it comes to hnis and ultra hnis how is it different than what it would be for regular investors regular clients well you know um, there are several respects in which uh, people or families <clears throat> who own what i like to call multi generational wealth that is wealth that will pass on from generation to generation I think they have uh, a set of challenges which are slightly different from those who are create wealth for themselves in their own lifetime uh, which is most of us so there are few such people who have the privilege of having or having produced that wealth already so the number one and the most important challenge that they face is to remain invested Uh, you know when you think about uh, you and i will invest money and uh, you know we will need that investment whenever it matures whenever we need it for some purpose which is you know a lifestyle use or anything some maybe emergencies for most of us this is true but for people with perpetual wealth uh, they their pressure is to keep invested because they know that you know the time of quantum of time the money is not invested is losing value so and that's a very difficult uh, pressure to face because that means you're constantly looking for where to put your money and and at the same time ducking all the mines landmines which we always find in the investment markets so that's the one big pressure the second big challenge they have is while you're doing all this how to avoid permanent loss of capital right they have a lot of capacity to to take temporary downswings you know maybe their net asset values sometimes will look will be in the red but those are if they invested in markets they have a capacity to stomach that but permanent loss of capital is a very difficult one because if this is multi generational wealth then you know nobody really wants to lose it on their watch they don't want the future generations to say hey that was a guy who lost it for us so that's another big responsibility and given the quantum of money the third big challenge is there is such an overload of the proposals that land on their desk for evaluation evaluation all the time or put your money in this because let's face it a lot of investment managers wealth managers product sellers banks you know they figure out that you you know there's a lot of money 
and uh, I guess it attracts a lot of pro- proposals. Now, just the sheer bandwidth to evaluate all these proposals is not there. Besides, sometimes the expertise is not there, right? I mean, okay, you know, if you're in business, you can evaluate another business opportunity, right? Uh, you can look at PNL or uh, you know annual reports of companies and evaluate shares and investment in stocks, bonds maybe even. But you know, it can go well beyond that. And sometimes it's very, very difficult for people to do that. So you have all this lot of money, a lot of pressure to get it right, lot of opportunity. I don't know which one to select. Don't want to lose it. And then having, when you look at investment, the several considerations that come to your mind, all the classic ones, you know, returns and uh, um, volatility of returns and consistency. So generally, what kind of investments are these investors comfortable with? Generally speaking, you want to choose something not for the maximum return. Because by and large, this is a business owner who's taking this decision. By and large, maybe he's a person from a large business owning family or a very successful entrepreneur or a, a professional with a very well-established practice. Right, maximum IRR this person is going to make is from his or her own business. So maximum return from the investment of the free cash is not usually a goal. It's not usually the primary. The primary goal is let me not lose this, but let me make a decent return. Obviously, you know you want to make better than the risk-free rate of return in any country. India, maybe that's. You know what the ten-year government bond will give you, right? Maybe that's in the range of seven, eight percent. So you want to make better than that, but you certainly don't want to lose it while doing that. And there's a new struggle that has begun of maybe I would say ever since the GFC, which right. is two thousand and eight. And that struggle is, you know, there is really a disappearing lot of real fiduciaries in the market okay. for this lot of lives. When I say that, what I mean is what a trend that we've noticed, which gathered momentum very fast after the GFC, is that everywhere there are asset gatherers. Right. Whether, whether they are managing the asset themselves or they're just gathering for somebody else to manage, because there is a lot of you know good fee income in in that asset gathering exercise. Sorry, you mean by GFC you mean global financial crisis, right? Yeah, yeah, the two thousand eight crisis, right? right? Right. Because see, what happened after the crisis that the way the world chose to try to solve the crisis is to throw a lot of good money at it, right? Right. And liquidity just kept getting, you know, shoveled into the market by bucket loads, and all the liquidity found its way into the asset markets, right? Right. Therefore, suddenly asset gathering became very, very, you know, uh, lucrative for asset gatherers. And obviously, a lot of the assets were being gathered from these families. So people have been giving preference business owners who were supposed to be intermediaries, who were supposed to be fiduciaries, have been preferring to gather asset rather than get it right for the owner of the asset. So, in a sense, uh, many times I find that so-called fiduciaries are conflicted with their clients. And that conflict manifests itself, for example, in product sales. Um, 
as an intermediary if you're going to be selling a set of products to let's say owners of large wells you're you're making money from commissions right right uh, that commission at some point in time however difficult however however right you may be in your selection will always have the shadow of conflict on it okay so people have tried to solve it by saying you know we will not charge a commission we will charge a fee if that fee is linked to the size of the asset that you know that shadow remains okay which is that's that's pretty pretty much how most advisors to these uh, families or owners of intergenerational wealth they, they you know they pay themselves either through through commissions or through you know aum linked uh, fees for the advice so so th- that challenge is a new challenge for for owners of the money you know yeah. how do you really know that your advisor is conflicted or not right. so there's a whole bunch of challenges right you know and, and which are which are not some of them are common to even owners of small capital or small wealth but most of them are unique to owners of multi generational wealth that's a fair point but now you know when we talk about the financial planning part for this class of investors you know what are their concerns and how they are different you know than say a regular investor you know whether it's to do with estate planning or giving away something or all the other aspects if you can touch upon them sure. so some things uh, take a little bit more priority over the others like i right. said the number one difference is that they are not targeting the largest return uh, and they're trying to preserve and conserve capital of course there are issues of succession and i think the issues are larger and go a little bit beyond just the managing of wealth and the succession issue is very real because many of the owners of intergenerational wealth are business families and if they solve the succession issue and they plan them i think the issue of wealth succession sort of naturally is a, is a subsidiary issue in that right so estate planning and will writing is not by itself a sufficient uh, goal a sufficient activity in this particular case because it's in it's it's always linked to succession and business right so if it's a business family that has four or five or six or seven businesses um, or even one business then who will carry on the business from the family will then have manifestation on or impact on how the rest of the wealth will be distributed and and passed on so therefore will writing is not a simple affair it's a whole succession planning so therefore it's a little more complex in in, in individually owned wealth of you know individuals who are earning it is usually just passing it on to their, their families but in this case the what is to be passed on is not just wealth but the businesses and therefore they are in observe they are always linked so that's one additional thing estate planning and therefore you know carrying on business in india is not such a big issue as such but many of the families in this particular case of owners of intergenerational wealth may have multiple tax residencies and legitimate ones and uh, in some of the tax residencies there will be challenges of estate duties and estate taxes and therefore planning of that is is a separate exercise 
uh, which needs to be carried out and therefore some of the advisors will have to understand when they advise uh, that what those particular domiciles of taxation have requirements from these families right the states right so some of these are are relevant but by and large it's a very complex issue and it requires more than wealth managers right uh, you know solicitors lawyers tax consultants to sit together and try and do the whole succession uh, address sure. all succession issue yeah but i must say that increasingly families are more uh, alive to it than they used to be you know, 20 years ago right particularly families in india uh, right. families whose uh, whose epicenter is india or the epicenter of activities in india were not so conscious of it 2025 years ago but have become sure. alive, more alive to it but families whose business epicenter is not india have always been alive to this at least as far as i can remember the thing that you mentioned is that also the reason why you know in the last few years we have seen you know the number of family offices going up uh, is that to manage all these complex uh, you know decisions that need to be made uh, you know complex yeah. planning that needs to be done that's one of the reasons of course uh, because i think there is room for professionals to step in and where the volume of uh, wealth is really large uh, and businesses are large i think uh, business owners have learned to recognize that they need help they need professional right. help and they not only because they don't understand the issues they may not have the time to address the the solution perfectly uh, they can direct it they know what they want i mean otherwise they won't be successful but uh, but they may not be able to implement it themselves many times right so more and more family offices have been established Uh, this is a trend in india that's gathered momentum i think over the last decade or so right. but one of the other reasons that's happened and that's an interesting reason is that if you think about it in the last 10 years the number of young people who have come into wealth in india is a very large number right and that's because of uh, successfully established uh, mostly technology based businesses right sure and uh, it's a very encouraging trend to see and such uh, young people have also realized that <coughs> this may be the start of their serial entrepreneurship and the faster they establish a professional team to help them to do this right the better of their world right so as a result of both these uh, impetus i think we've seen this happen uh, and as a result we find ourselves dealing more and more with somewhere between you know a setup of even one or two people to all the way i mean uh, i've been dealing with family offices with you know nine or 10 people also which is right. a fairly large number right 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 so the number of family offices the professionals they employ that has also gone up just with oh dramatically, dramatically. just uh, like the number of offices Absolutely. right in right. in some cases of course uh, it is some sign of the family itself Right, right who steps right. in to run to make that office happen and run it right, right. Uh, that depends on the family's preferences really and you know right uh, how they want to do it so how does multi act fit in all of this how are you catering to the different needs of these ultra rich families so i must start by saying that multi act was set up as a single family office okay okay so it was actually set up in for the purpose of one family uh who had uh, investments across the world and uh, was finding it difficult 
then in back in the 90s in the late 90s when it was set up was finding it very difficult to find good quality um, equity oriented advice right or even execution you know good managers were difficult to find and so they decided to get together as a team for themselves and started with you know a few analysts and the person who set it up uh, himself came from the financial market he was he was that member of the family who had who developed expertise in financial markets worked in global financial markets and decided to do this for the family and then he developed a team and for the first almost 12 years that team only managed that families one families investments across the world right uh, it was then subsequently in the next 12 to 13 years so this has been around for 25 years so the, the next half which is 12 to 13 years or so is which was approximately you know if you recall if i could say immediately after the global financial crisis uh, what happened due to the global financial crisis and multi act which was a family office team realized that they had a very very vastly different experience of living through the global financial crisis as compared to many other families in that they actually did well as compared to you know, the rest of the people that lost money they had seen this coming and okay. had and therefore place their uh, bets uh, in anticipation of such a crisis and as a result to were able to take full advantage of the crisis when it happened and so they thought about it and said well if we should offer this service to other families okay. why why should they have a different experience and then it was set up as a commercial organization mm-hmm. expanding the team and you know making it more professional so what it does now all these 12 13 years later that it has a set of approximately seven or eight teams okay. of investment professionals who do different things so you know so, so the first and the core team that it it has is called the advisory group okay this group is as a very bespoke service it offers uh, deep analytics of portfolios of you know uh, people who own this multi generational wealth right and uh, analyzes risk right down to the each line item of the portfolio uh, the risk the opportunity it in discussion with family members it comes to sets goals for these portfolios and then works with the family to move the portfolio in the direction of the goals suggesting which securities at what prices and what length of time should be held and exited so this is a very detailed step by step advice and it it doesn't limit itself to equities go into bonds and go into structured investments you know the whole nine yard right into bullion all kinds of things do you also offer investment products and investment solutions for these investors multi act also set up for actively managing uh, assets you know portfolio management license from sebi in which it now offers five different strategies the first strategy was launched in about 2011 so it's about 12 years old the whole purpose of this portfolio management group is to focus on the special needs of intergenerational wealth for example uh, its longest running portfolio um, has a very very low volatility track record it has 
uh, a huge variation of asset allocation between cash and equities. Uh, it can go all the way down to you know 30% cash, 20% cash, because goal is not to be to remain out of the market at the peak and to be fully invested in the market at the low. And it cannot do that unless you know it takes aggressive asset allocation calls. Similarly, there is another one which is you know an all-weather portfolio or all-season portfolio. Uh, there is another portfolio which uh, which essentially runs in the global markets. So these are designed around needs of intergenerational wealth, not around the needs of uh, individual retail wealth. Unlike other, and unique in the sense that each of these strategies were first designed for the family that owns a business. That any uh, set management service that it brings into into its clients is always run with its own money first for a full cycle. Then there is a alternate investments fund group that was set up about three four years ago, uh, which does AIF. Uh, currently category 2 because we recognize that a lot of business families have a greater priority on investing in private uh, equity as well as private credit okay uh, because you know public equity and public credit is available to them from everybody right. but the private side is interesting because you know families think like this I have my own business I'm getting a great IRR here but I would like to diversify a little bit and I don't have the time I don't have the bandwidth so if somebody can do this for me in a structured transparent way I am willing to participate then there of course a large research group is the largest team in, in multi-act this is a team that currently has a database of over 7,000 stocks globally okay. in its own proprietary research framework uh, this framework is developed over 25 years it doesn't track 27,000 stocks every day. On a regular basis, I think the number of stocks being tracked varies anywhere between 500 to 700, depending on what's in the client portfolios, right. what's in the multi-app portfolios. Uh, right now, I can tell you it's tracking about 600 stocks, okay. 300 in India and 300 outside, outside India. Some of the external asset managers have liked this. And they have bought this from us on a, on a subscription basis. We've just set up a quants group. Okay. The quants group is working to see how how to make the best of what are known, begun to be known as passive smart beta strategies, right? Right. We have another group are working already on testing stock baskets, yet another testing private credits globally. So we are constantly looking for solutions which we will bring to our clients in the in the advisory solutions, to our multi-generational wealth clients. Advisory business does not conflict with the client ever. The way the advisory business charges for its services is by a fixed fee. Okay. It's not it's not linked to the AUM. Are there any international funds also in your offerings? Looking at you know uh, uh, overhang of uh, of domestic um, investments, you know, uh, Indian families tend to have almost 99% home buyers. Yeah. Uh, we think for very large volumes of uh, wealth, uh, it is prudential to, you know, diversify even outside India. So we set up about seven, eight years ago, a fund management team out, outside India in Mauritius. There's an actual team there. 
uh, and that began to use the research and 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 started to research the global markets set up a fund there and we currently run three different fund strategies from Mauritius for indian clients uh, who want to take exposure in the global markets quite besides you know they, it may have also you know international clients in the same funds right and a very important service we carried out for your for all of our, all the clients who who multi asset advisors is to bring down the cost of investing hmm. it's you know amazing when you are a family or a for a large investor the number of people who come and sell you all kinds of strange structured products investment opportunities aifs pmss mutual funds all kinds of things right when you start analyzing the underlying underlying holdings of all yeah. these structures as one portfolio you begin to realize that you know your client is paying a lot of money to hold simple set of equities which should belong in every portfolio anyway all right you know there have been cases we we found that people were you know paying up to 3 to 4% yeah uh, to hold just core equities okay. whereas you know if they bought it through their broker they'll probably pay you know 150th of the price okay. uh, or 110th of the price at least so we quickly bring down portfolio management costs for our clients and ashutosh uh, you know what about the advisory services in the sense of you know estate planning or uh, you know or or the focus is more on investment Investments. side right okay no, multi asset multi asset is totally investment focus okay uh, we do not propose we do not propose to at this point in time and don't have okay. expertise to give advice which is strictly legal or tax right uh, any of our investors who invest with us from anywhere in the world their tax treatment yeah we will always get it right by using the best tax advisors okay okay however we don't put ourselves out to give tax advice okay because i don't think we are not experts in that sure uh, we work with the we work with the best experts to make okay. sure that the client gets the right advice okay, okay. but uh, if somebody comes to us and say oh, here i've drafted a will will you please take a look at it Uh, right. I'm sorry. We are not the best legal guys. You want a solicitor? Sure. Uh, we have very good solicitors whom we use and have access to. We will. We will. We will refer them. them. Right. Yeah. Right, right. But that's not that's not a service we will offer. Sure. 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 Thanks, Ashutosh, for joining us today and sharing with us why investment and advisory needs of HNIs and ultra HNI families are quite different than other investors. Thank you listeners for joining us today. If you liked this episode and would like to hear to more such interesting conversations, do log into our channel Why Not Mint Money on Spotify where you'd always find me omnipresent. Also, if you have any new ideas or suggestions, you can DM me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is @jashkriplani that is J A S H K R I P L A N I. You can always reach out to us over the email Our email ID is mintmoney at the rate limein dot com. To stay updated on this podcast, follow us at HD Smartcast on all the major social media platforms. To listen to more such podcasts, log on to www dot hdsmartcast dot com.